Hey guys, the latest addition to the Ringer Podcast Network is Winging It with Vince Carter, Kent Bazemore, and Annie Finberg of the Atlanta Hawks. Vince and Kent are going off script to offer a behind-the-scenes look at what NBA players think and talk about when their minds aren't on the court, covering everything from sports, news, and pop culture. You can subscribe now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show, The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Conflict, a.k.a. Kevin O'Candyland, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber. Kevin! <laughs> that gets me going every Tuesday morning. How are you doing, Chris? <laughs> Everything's good. So we had a big night last night in the NBA. Ooh. We'll kind of use that to jump off a, a million topics that we want to try to get to today. First of which is Denver-Toronto, which we were excited about the matchup coming up. Knew this was happening with uh, Toronto with their incredible record. They're, I mean, they're 20-5, and five, I think, going into 20-4, and four, going into last night. And they're hosting Denver, uh, who has been very good so far this season. The game turned out to be great. Jokic ends up with a triple-double. Kawhi Leonard ties the game with six seconds left. And then an off-ball foul does the Toronto Raptors in at the very end of the game, Ibaka holding on to Jokic. So they got a free throw, and then they buried two more free throws after a foul. Lowry misses a three at the buzzer. I know you were watching it because I saw you tweet out mm. the the Jokic pass, which was one of the best of the season for sure. Uh, what was your biggest takeaways from Nuggets Raptors? Same as it's been all year, really, for Denver, Chris. This team's good. It's a really good team. They have a lot of different options on their team, even with Gary Harris going down nine minutes into his stint. Uh, they have a lot of depth on their team. Juan Herner and Gomez, someone last night who has stepped up here in their last season. Paul Millsap, since switching to the headband, has been really, really good. And Nikola Jokic, man, like Jamal Murray said after the game, there's nothing he can't do but jump. That's it. Jokic does it all. It's Juancho. Hernan Gomez, Kevin. Mm. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I still go by Juan with him. I Wancho, I, Wancho is better, though. It's a cool I name. love Wancho. I, I was watching the Denver broadcast, and when they said Wancho, I was yeah. like, oh, this is so Wancho's, good. Wancho's such a great name. <laughs> it is a great name. And Gary Harris obviously went out after nine minutes last yeah. night. And that's, how, and that's one of their big guys. Uh, Beasley came in and was very good, I thought, for them. Yeah, Malik Beasley. I mean, it's it's so funny watching Denver. They have a lot of guys on their team that I loved in the draft. Jokic, I, I liked a lot. Hernan Gomez, I loved. Beasley, I loved. Jamal Murray, one of their other better players, I didn't like that much, uh, which is you know interesting. But besides that, uh, they have a lot of good talent on their team. And it just so happens to be people I, I liked in the draft. Uh, it's nice to see Malik Beasley um, having some solid games for them, as well as Monte Morris. Last time he was only 3 of 10, only one assist, but... All year long, their bench has been rock solid. Uh, uh, the starters ha have elevated their play. Even, like, talked about this yesterday, Nikola Jokic, despite not shooting the ball well so far this season from three, still making a significant impact on the offensive of the floor because his playmaking is, is truly just outstanding, man. Like, it, it, it is special to watch. And the rare bad Lowry game, because Lowry, I mean, he just couldn't. He couldn't hit anything last night. He ends up one for seven. He ends up one for six from three. He ends up with five points. It's very uncommon to see Lowry have that kind of game. I will tell you, I saw Toronto in person last week, and I was blown away. I thought they were just 
fantastic. And it's one of those games where I happened to see them and they just buried every three that they took. And then you get a game like last night and they can't. I mean, some of it is a lot of these teams are playing this way where they might have anywhere from 30 to 50 three-point attempts in a game. And the nights you catch them and they're burying them, they are totally unstoppable. This was a lot of what we talked about with Houston last year. And you felt that way with Toronto last night. There was a segment of the game where it was just three after three after three, and they couldn't make any of them. So if they make those, they look amazing. And it's not like they're taking bad shots. They look, though, if they make them, they look amazing. And if they don't, then they look beatable. But even then, I mean, they're 11 for 41, 11 for 41, and they lost by three points. Did you think that was a foul by Ibaka on Jokic? I was watching the Denver broadcast. You're never going to believe this. They didn't replay it. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching the Denver feed on League Pass. And so they just said foul. And I was like, what did he do? They never replayed the foul. Seriously. (laughs) I was like, I wouldn't replay it either. I just hate when games are decided like that. I do. You know what I mean? You could say, mm-hmm. oh, he held him, he held him. And so if you don't call it, you're letting a foul decide the game. But, I mean, they had let so much stuff go at the end of that game. And Nick Nurse did his damnedest to get kicked out of that game with about five, six minutes left. He was freaking out. It was one of those hold-me-back moments <laughs> at the <laughs> yeah, referee. So he was so pissed off. And then even at the end of the game, they were just letting they were letting a lot of physical stuff go. Jokic even got popped on one of his little runners he hit in the lane. It was just, I don't know. I I want to see those players decide that game, and it's six seconds left, and you put them at the line, you give them the free throw. You know now Toronto's got a foul. I mean, that's how they got their last three points. And so I cannot speak to what happened. You know, it happened live. He called the foul, and then they never showed a replay on the Denver broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> did you think it was a funny. foul i didn't see uh, it i, I don't mean know. i would put it like this like in the nfl offensive holding like when, yep. when when the defensive end tries to turn the corner and the offensive lineman keeps his outside hand in the inside of the chest but gives a little bit of a tug sometimes mm-hmm. the referee throws the flag sometimes he doesn't i would say by nba standards it was a foul because Jokic was trying to turn the corner from a screen being set by jamal murray i believe and he got held. He did get held. In the NFL, sometimes that doesn't get called. In the NBA, I thought it was enough to be fair to be called. I, I thought it was the right call, man. You can't let Jokic get the ball at that point. So you understand Ibaka being aggressive on the play, especially because, like you said, Chris, they were allowing a lot of contact. And that's where, contextually, it's unfortunate that it was called because they were allowing more contact. And we've seen a little bit more of that across the league, too, with defense being able to play a little bit more. Uh, so that's disappointing. I hate seeing it called as well, but I, I think it was a call. That was right just within the context of the game. It was disappointing to see. But you can't let Jokic get the ball, man. He was he was outstanding last night, man. He's been so outstanding all Denver year. Denver, for sure, continues to impress. And especially, listen, they're back to, they'd started off so well defensively, and then the rankings started to go down, and now they're right back up. Their defense is now, I think, if I'm not mistaken, their, their defense as of this morning is back in the top five. And this was something that they said, was their edict going into the season. We're continually pretty good. We've been right there on the cusp of being a playoff team, but our defensive ranks every year have been terrible, and their coach Mike Malone said 
you know, you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over again. Like this is what's going to happen to us if we're bad defensively. As of this morning, they are actually third in the NBA, which is rather impressive considering they have been, you know, a bottom five defensive team for the last couple of years. Yeah, their defense has absolutely stepped up. You know, I, that's the reason why they're winning more games. But watching the team, it's still about the offense. I mean, like, did you see that pass Nicole Jokic made off the dribble to Jamal Murray with a corner three last night? Oh, my goodness, man. Like, I was thinking last night, Chris, what are things that I enjoy more than watching Nikola Jokic pass the basketball? And, and the list that I could come up with was something like burritos, chicken parmesan, soft serve ice cream. Watching the movie Interstellar late at night, female lead vocalists like Leanne Le Havas, my favorite bands, Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix. And the point is this, Chris. This is the point. When I meet someone and I find out they like any of those things, I get excited. We have something in common, something that's important to me. And if I find out that someone likes Nikola Jokic passing the ball, I get excited because Jokic's playmaking is so fantastic. It is astounding. It's lovely. Like it, it is just so aesthetically pleasing and it's so effective. Like it just drives that Denver Nuggets team. He creates passes that so few players in league history can. Like he is one of the most talented passes ever. And for people who aren't watching the Denver Nuggets, it's like I highly recommend checking them out just because Jokic is so outstanding and so fun to watch. He makes the league better. And and it makes me happy. I love watching Jokic pass the ball. Can you please put that as your bio in your Tinder profile? Got to read down the Interstellar first. at night. Nicole Jokic uh, passes. What were the other things? <laughs> Jimi Hendrix. Female lead vocalist like Leanne Le Havas. Uh, <laughs> you, you can find a perfect match. Soft serve ice cream, yeah. We're talking about Denver's defense, but everybody's defense pales in comparison to what Oklahoma City has been doing. Oh my. Oklahoma City is first in the NBA in defensive efficiency at 98.5. They are two points better, two points better than everybody else in the league, which is a massive margin. Boston is second at 100.9. And they went last night and played against the Detroit Pistons, who have been a good early season story and absolutely mutilated them and were once again surprisingly amazing defensively uh in last night's game and so now you have this uh Oklahoma City team who started off a little bit slow kind of stumbled out of the gate but they have really honed in and even despite the loss of Anthony Roberson which frankly every time his name comes up in the news it's bad news because uh, it's now, again, being evaluated in six more weeks as he was injured in a workout. But the Roberson loss killed their defense last year. It went uh, from tops in the league or one of the tops in the league to 108.7 per 100 possessions, which was good for about 18th. So they moved from one of the best to one of the bottom 10 in the league last year without Roberson. It looked like maybe that would befell them this year, but it has not. Um, and they have honed in and become this amazing defensive team. What do you make of what we've seen from Oklahoma City? Well, it's like you said, Chris. OKC, number one defense. They're not even close to anybody else. They're outliers this year. Shout out to Malcolm Gladwell, author of Outliers. And I don't think I'm only saying this because last night's game happened against the Pistons in Detroit. But weren't there some like 04 Pistons vibes watching that Thunder defense just utterly dominate the game, right? I mean... 
Terrence Ferguson coming back, his effort is contagious. Watching him run through screens, closing out on every jumper. Like there was this one play, uh, I think oh, early in the third quarter, Andre Drummond got switched onto Jeremy Grant. And Grant is strong enough for Drummond. He's one of their most versatile defenders. But Ferguson just flew out of nowhere, blocked the shot. And I thought it was one of those plays that symbolize their defense as a whole. They have versatility. They have guys who can defend multiple positions, but they also play with effort up and down the roster, whether it's the rookie, Hamadou Diallo, who's out right now, whether it's Russell Westbrook, their star player who is playing with more effort on defense, whether it's Steven Adams anchoring the defense, Paul George, obviously the two-way superstar that he is. This team, from top to bottom, has plus defenders on it, and everybody is playing with effort. Uh it's been remarkable watching this team on defense. They're going to need to sustain it because their offense is average or below average so far. But their defense is special. Sam Presti has assembled a loaded, loaded defensive roster. And interestingly enough, one of the players that you didn't mention, I was reading an article yesterday and I jotted down a couple of notes from it. It mentioned that Alex Abrinas, of players that have played 15 minutes a game and have played at least 15 games, his defensive rating. Say what oh, you ever want. Uh, whatever those you want. Stats. Those stats stink. That's fine. You might say they stink. They He's second stink. in the NBA. It doesn't matter. It's a team what? stat. Sorry. I, I, I hate those stats. What? You hate defensive rating? It doesn't mean anything for a player. It doesn't. It's a team stat. I wrote an article last year, like, what stats the NBA executives think are, are dumb. <laughs> and basically, one of the ones is they said they don't like when, you know, put it this way. The example that was given was like, a couple of years ago, Kelly Olynyk led the NBA in defensive rating. He didn't lead the NBA in defensive rating. The Celtics led the NBA in defensive rating when Kelly Olynyk was on the floor. It's about the context of the way it's said. So it's like Oklahoma City may lead the NBA when Alex Abrinas is on the floor. But it's, is it because of Alex Abrinas or is it because they have Steven Adams anchoring the paint, Jeremy Grant, Terrence Ferguson, and Paul George on the wings? But can you yeah. use that as an opportunity to say, hey, does this match up? They appear to be a better defensive team when Abrinas is on the court. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you don't think that this can correlate sometimes? There's going to be times sometimes. where it's goofy. There's also going to be times where it actually tells you what you want it to tell you, which is, are they a much better defensive team when this particular player is on the floor? And for what reason? And then you can kind of investigate that rather than just citing it and saying, oh, well, they're being very good. Well, why would they be better with Abrinas out on the court? Could be. I mean, because, I guess we could just we could just discount the stat completely and just say, oh, it's goofy and you know, executives don't like it. Mostly because executives are morons, by the way. <laughs> I hate to tell you that. <laughs> just like us, right? Yeah, it's you know true, what I mean? Like, like so what do I care what they think? These are, these are the same people that signed the you know the Alan Krabs of the world for fifty million dollars. <laughs> Get out of my face. Phil Jackson gave Joe Quinoa like yeah. $80 million. Yeah, let them sit. <laughs> and he won with Michael Jordan. <laughs> and he, I promise you, he didn't look at his defensive rating. <laughs> my, my, he didn't have a computer. He went and talked to a wolf in Montana. And my, my only hang up is this it's about the context, right? Alex Abrinas doesn't have a 95.8 defensive rating. The Thunder have a 95.8 defensive rating when Alex Abrinas is on the court. It's a subtle difference, but. But are, is it possible difference. that they are a better defensive team with him on the court? No, it's not possible. Because he's not as good of a defender as Terrence Ferguson or Jeremy Grant or Paul George. He's just not. It, you know, what it, what it is is context. They're facing bench units with starters on the team, so their defense as a whole collectively is better. But Alex Sabrinas is not a better individual defender. He's been better this season. The whole team has been. 
Nerlens Noel's been better as of late. Russell Westbrook has too. Effort's contagious. They lead the league in forcing turnovers. They lead the league in scoring points off of those turnovers. This is going into last night's game. So this is before the Detroit game. 17.7 turnovers forced a game. They score the most points off turnovers, 21.4. They are sixth in opponent field goal percentage. They were fourth in opponent three-point percentage. So, I mean, like all these numbers, I mean, across the board, they have just been out of this world. And a lot of that is credit to Alex Abrinas. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Alex Abrinas, who leads the team in defensive rating, right right behind Raymond Felton (laughs) and Nerlens Noel. Oh, and Deontay Burton, too. Yeah, (laughs) He's second in the entire NBA, Kevin. Mm, I just wanted you to know that. I know, yeah. Get a trophy for that. And uh, they absolutely squashed Detroit last night. So you got to believe that that Oklahoma City team, now that they have found their bearings, Defense travels, man, and they will be able to win a good share of games because of that defense. And of course, most nights they're going to get really good offense. But I think you're right. Listen, when you got a perimeter defender like George, who's one of the best, and you've got a backline defender like Steven Adams, you've got a chance to do something really special. And like and you mentioned those other guys, Grant's been good for them this year. And I thought, you know, so versatile, listen, I, man. So I versatile. thought the Patterson thing was a great signing a couple off seasons, and it just has never taken. He just, I mean, he just fell off a cliff post-Toronto. No, he just hasn't worked out. I, I think Nerlens Noel earlier in the season, he had he had some you know annoying plays when he was coming off the bench, just kind of playing outside of the scheme. But I think he's been better as of late. Maybe Nerlens Noel needed time to figure out how to play within their system, or maybe he maybe he got yelled at for playing outside of it, and then then started to settle down, understanding what he needed to do. Uh, but really, I think for this entire team, though. Everybody's playing with effort. Everybody. Even guys that haven't in the past. Like Westbrook is playing hard on defense. Schroeder, who the past couple of the se- seasons in Atlanta, his defense has fallen off, has been better. Everybody on this team is playing hard. And it's, I, I think it's amazing how a defensive identity can be formed. So so like when you mentioned that Abrina stat, Chris, I think the reason why like it bothers me when I see that cited sometimes is because defense is not a one-man job. It never is. It's a five-man job. And that play I mentioned earlier with Ferguson rotating over to help on Grant, it's to to be successful on defense, all five guys need to be connected. It, it, it is truly a team game on the end of the floor. On offense, sometimes you can have one guy just dribble the ball and get you a bucket. And on defense, you really can't do that. Like a couple of years ago when the Spurs, uh, Kawhi Leonard, he had a, the Spurs had a lower defensive rating with Kawhi on the floor than they did with him off. Is that Kawhi's fault? No. It's the whole defensive unit as a whole. It's the other guys they have on the team. It's the way, it's it's the situations that they're put in. It's not just the one player that can make or break a defense. It's the entire unit. And this Oklahoma City roster, top to bottom, is just outstanding on that end of the floor. And it gives them a chance to win a heck of a lot of games this season. I have a little bit harder time accepting that one player can't make a big defensive difference. But that's because I constantly watch a team with <laughs> Marcus Gasol and Jaron Jackson on it. For sure. But and I see what happens when one of them's out. Sure. One guy can make a big difference. Don't get me wrong. But it's still a five-man unit. Like, you can have the best rim protector in basketball, right? But you can have poor perimeter defenders. Right. And it's going to hurt you, right? It's going to Well, put, he can't, but the, he can atone for a lot of sins. Is what you, you can have Kawhi Leonard, but without supporting players around him, he can't lock down all five players on that team, right? Uh, Sometimes he can. Some, 
That's true. It's, but but it's, I mean, it's like right now with the Philadelphia 76ers, right? I, right. I wrote about this yesterday. With Joel Embiid, the way he's playing defense is he's dropping on the pick and roll all the way down to the paint because he's protecting against layups and then trying to push teams to shoot mid-range jumpers, right? One of the problems for Philadelphia right now is that when they're facing a point guard that can pull up from three, they don't have the perimeter defenders aside from Jimmy Butler who can get over those screens to effectively contest those shots. So I think for them, the problem isn't Joel Embiid dropping back on defense. The problem is the fact that J.J. Redick is getting scorched. The problem is that T.J. McConnell is a solid defender, but not a great one. The problem is that Landry Shamit is being targeted constantly. They don't have wing and guard defenders that can maximize Joel Embiid's effectiveness, and thus their formerly elite defense has dropped off a little bit. It's not elite anymore. I think it's ranked eighth or ninth right now. They need more guys on their team to effectively have a a defensive unit that's going to be great whether or not Joel Embiid is on the floor or not. All right, Kevin, we'll get right back to it. First, I want to tell everybody about ZipRecruiter. Hiring can be pretty time-consuming. You post a job on several online job boards only to get a ton of wrong resumes. Then you have to sort through all of those resumes just to find a few people with the right skills and experience. Those job sites that overwhelm you with wrong resumes, they're not smart. And that's why you should do the smart thing and go to ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter finds quality candidates for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes to identify people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply for your job. So you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites like Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, our listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. If you love the show, show your support by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Well, we're getting to defense once again, Kevin, because while despite this season being all about offense, it has seemed so far in this ridiculous amount of 50-point games and these high scores that have happened, it is these teams that have really buckled down defensively um, that have been the surprises as of late and have really had good runs like we were talking about Oklahoma City. Another one is... Minnesota and their defensive numbers post-Jimmy Butler have just been out of this world, and it might have been their masterpiece last night when they hold Houston to nine points in the fourth quarter last night. Um, you know, they were down big to Houston, and not only does Minnesota score 38 uh, coming back out from halftime, they are able to hold Houston to nine points in the fourth quarter. Uh, and Houston's offense this year has been still top 10. They're eighth in offensive efficiency. Their defense has fallen off a cliff. They're oh 24th mm. this year. Gross. But th- listen, you, you can be 20, 24th in defensive efficiency. That, that still doesn't necessarily excuse having nine points in the quarter. <laughs> and, and I had wondered this past weekend when Minnesota was going to get the opportunity, you know, we we're going to kind of see if this was about, uh, you know, a, a light, schedule that they had had when I was watching and reading about all of these recent defensive metrics, which are just out of this world. Was it because they were playing Brooklyn and Chicago and Cleveland and these teams, or 
was it for real? And then they played Boston and they end up getting beat and they gave up 118 in the game. But then they turn around and they give up 91 in a game to Houston. And like I said, hold them to nine in the fourth quarter. I'm starting to believe with the addition of Covington and Sarich and these other guys have gotten more locked in that this Minnesota defensive turnaround, maybe it's not as elite as it has been off the small sample size, but it's real. I mean, yeah. it's real. That team has gotten much, much better defensively than they were prior to. I think you nailed it. I, I do. I think, you know, it might not be that number one ranked defense, right? But it's a lot better. And Ro- Robert Covington has changed everything for that team. Uh, everybody's defending it. I think a lot of it has to do with Covington. Uh, the effort he's playing with, the intelligence he brings to the floor with sharp rotations, um, energy off the bench, like even just clapping his hands, you know, for his teammates, you know, first guy off the bench to high five somebody, like even little things like that all add up. I think Covington's, you know, Obviously, his performance on the court defensively, um, he shot the ball extremely well since joining Minnesota. So he's changed that team. And and everybody since that Jimmy Butler trade, it's similar to like we just talked about with OKC with Russell Westbrook trying. They're having guys on their team like Andrew Wiggins playing with effort last night. Derek Rose, who I thought, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we talked about this last last year. I thought he forgot how to play basketball. And he's playing harder on defense. Last night, he had one of his worst scoring games of the season, 0 for 4, 0 points. But he still felt like he made a positive overall impact because of his defense and his passing. Uh, Their team overall, it's been strong, man. Uh, They have a lot of good defensive players on that roster. Carl Anthony Towns has been better. Taj Gibson rock solid, as always. They're not going to be the number one defense. They're on Oklahoma City, but they're pretty good. Well, and to your point about uh about Covington, you know, now having these elite perimeter defenders can make such a massive difference and you know the the you look at their starting lineup last night. It's Teague, it's Towns, it's Wiggins, it's Taj. There's only one difference there. Right? There's only one difference there. It's Robert Covington starting at small forward instead of Jimmy Butler. That's it. Mhm. Yep. And that one difference is been pretty significant, hasn't it? Right? It's, it's like, you know, with Covington. I wonder what his defensive rating is. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to. I had to. You know what? I, I legitimately want to check right now. I'm, I'm going to check the on-off court right now since the Butler trade. So this is this is since November 14th. That was the day of the trade. And by the way, yeah. to my point earlier about Toronto missing all of those threes, and when they hit them, they look awesome. When they miss them, they look bad. It happened to Houston, too. Much like I was talking about Toronto being like, whatever, 10 of 40 or whatever the hell they were. Last night, the Rockets are 11 for 39. When those shots drop, they look great. And when they don't drop, you have what happens last night. For what it's worth, Chris, when Robert Covington is on the floor, the Timberwolves are allowing 97 points per 100 possessions. That's an elite number. That'd be number one in the league. <laughs> yes, it would be number one in the league when Robert Covington is on the floor. And when he's off? 105. <laughs> and that's since the trade, for what it's worth. So 10 games since November 14th. That's incredible. Yeah. Seriously incredible. I mean, I think with Covington, he's one of those guys, and I think Ben Falk wrote about this on Cleaning the Glass. He just does all the little things on defense, all the things that don't go noticed. I think you hit it at the beginning. You raise the collective energy of a team, 
right? I saw this happen with Tony Allen. You're seeing it now in Boston with Marcus Smart. You know, there's these guys that their impact is so much greater than whatever a box score tells you because they raise the collective energy of the team. And you look to the, you know, it's it's the same in any workplace. You look to the right and there's some guy that's busting his ass. You're either going to try to bust your ass too to get on his level and be like him, or you're going to look stupid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Effort is a skill. Yes. It is. And it's so contagious. It just is. Once one guy... He's busting his ass and diving on the floor and everything else. Sometimes that's all it takes to get the maximum out. Instead of, you know, listen, and I'm a Butler fan, but it's probably better off that he's not coming to the bench calling them all wussies every time out. Everybody everybody gets motivated differently. And obviously yeah. his, uh, his, his motivation didn't work out. And that does need to be mentioned, by the way. They have one without him, and he said they could not. So maybe there's a little revenge here. <laughs> Even someone like Fred Van Vliet, right? Who in yes. college at Wichita State, undersized, six foot one point guard with short arms. I, I looked at him entering that draft. Like I look back at my scouting report of him and I'm like, geez, what a dummy I was ranking him outside the top 60 because the effort that he had is the number one thing. Fred Van Vliet always brought effort, high basketball IQ. And he's gotten a little bit better physically where all the effort that he's always played with all his years at Wichita State are manifesting into a positive impact, largely because, guess what? He tries every single play. That's a real skill. Yeah. One other thing to mention from the Rockets-Timberwolves was rough night for Chris Paul. We mentioned the Lowry rough night. In fact, these guys kind of mirrored each other. I was talking about Lowry couldn't buy a bucket. Neither could Paul. He is one of eight from the field. He is one of Oof. seven uh, from three. And obviously, these last three games, uh, since he missed that Dallas game, he's been pretty rough. I mean, he's one of eight, four of 11 the game before that, five of 13 the game before that. I mean, he hasn't broken, uh, he hasn't shot over 40% since he has come back, even though two of those were wins the San Antonio win and the Chicago win and the team looked good um last night was a rough one because he ends up also having five turnovers in the game yeah Chris Paul looks like he got old doesn't he Chris right you know like he's he's always going to be able to pass like he's going to be able to he could create shots for me and you on the court but what he can't do as well right now is generate offense for himself like he's 33 years old now and he looks like it. He looks so old. He looks slow. He can't elevate for his jumpers and layups like he used to. And, and you know, his hamstring injuries seem like they're chronic, right? They will they suddenly go away at age 33? Uh, I'm doubtful of that. And Paul's getting paid 33 million dollars this year, 38 and a half million next year, 41.4 million in 2020, and then the fourth and final year of his contract with a player option that he will absolutely pick up. It's 44.2 million. And last summer's deal that Daryl Morey made trading Lou Williams, Montrezl Harrell, Patrick Beverly in the first round pick for Chris Paul looked really smart. And I think it was the Rockets were just one game away from the NBA Finals and they would have beaten the Cleveland Cavaliers had they not shot that 0 for 27 streak from three. But it seems like with Chris Paul's subtle decline, that window might have shut a lot sooner than expected. And that short-term gamble that was worth it is going to bite them long-term because those three guys, Williams, Harrell, and Beverly, right now for the Los Angeles Clippers, are making an incredible difference on that team. It's interesting what you say because Capella has been amazing this year. He's averaging 18 and 12. Harden's leading the league in scoring. 
And so you remember that stat that was commonly thrown around? They were like 40 and three. 50 and five was the number. 50 and five. 50 and five. Yep, when those three guys were healthy, why, if I'm not mistaken, they played 10 this year and they've lost five of them. 10 and five this year with those three. Maybe it's uh, fewer games if they didn't finish others, but I think 50 and five last year, 10 and five this season. That kind of says it all, really. Maybe they'll win the next 40. <laughs> when you're pointing the finger a little bit at Paul, it stands to reason when I'm telling you Capella's 18 and 12 with a 25 PER. And like I said, Harden's leading the league in scoring right now. So if we're talking about just having those three guys on the court meant so much towards the success of that team, what's changed, right? Obviously, their supporting cast is not as good as it was last year, the guys around them. Um, But I mean, Harden's averaging 31 points a game, nine assists, almost six rebounds a game. I mean, he and Capella are doing what they need to do. It's Chris Paul that needs to elevate his play now. And then obviously, additions need to be made. They need to add more wings. They need to add more defensive players by the end of the trade deadline or in the buyout market. They have to make some changes. So Houston is obviously not climbing up the standings. They are amongst a bunch of teams that right now, at least through a quarter way through the season, you wonder, you know, what their playoff prospects look like. Another one of those is the Pelicans. And they had a home game last night against the Los Angeles Clippers, played them right till the very end of the game, and Lou Williams stuck a dagger in them on a foot-on-the-line three, but it was still enough last night for them. And the Pelicans moved to under five hundred. On the year, they had started off. They had come out the gates really well, and now they're under five hundred um, for the first time in a long time. And the Clippers keep on trucking. What do you think? Clippers tied with the Nuggets for the number one seed in the Western Conference. Isaac, how about that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Isaac, you better watch out because we got a showdown tomorrow Oof. night in Memphis. I'm looking forward to it, man. Oh, let's go. Me versus Isaac, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> battle of the, the Western Conference playoff teams. Yeah, battle yeah. B- battle for yeah. the number one seed. Pr- pr- yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. The Clippers are, they're not number one seed for real, but they are for real good. Right, like we've talked about this before, they have a lot of good players on their roster. Uh, Tobias Harris, last night's game, twenty-seven points on ten of sixteen from the floor. Uh, he's a professional scorer, Chris. Well, he needed to atone for getting his ish blocked by Dennis Smith Jr. when it mattered most. <laughs> That's what happened. But but he was deserving <laughs> of Western Conference Player of the Month last night. I believe twenty-two points, uh, nine rebounds, ludicrous scoring efficiency numbers. He's a professional scorer, and so is Danilo Gallinari. So is Lou Williams. This Clippers team doesn't have a superstar, but they have a collection of professional scorers who can get buckets all over the court, and then a bunch of you know good surrounding pieces like Patrick Beverly, like rookie Shea Gildas Alexander, like Avery Bradley, whose shot selection is frustrating. But last night he still had 15 points on seven of 12, and he played good defense down the stretch. At least they have guys like Ty Wallace who come off the bench who can do nice things. They have Montrez Harrell, who's we mentioned energy earlier. Chris, he's one of those energy guys. He just anytime he's on the floor, you know you're going to get that from him, and that's important to have uh, on both ends. Uh, I think the Clippers are going to be absolutely a, a playoff team, and then they have their secret weapon, Boban. Boban, Chris. All right, who ends up having a better record, the Clippers or the Lakers? The Lakers. Interesting. I'm sticking to my preseason prediction. That's really what it is. I do think that Clippers roster is very good, and and here's the thing. Gilgis Alexander is 
a very good defender. And when you're able to throw out perimeter defenders like Beverly, Gilgis Alexander, and Bradley, like that's for real. That's as formidable as it gets perimeter defensive wise. For sure. No, no doubt about it. Like they have a lot of good versatile defensive players and they have complementary offensive players who fit around their two main guys, Gallinari and Harris. They just have a lot of versatility, right? They can play small. They can play big, put Boban out there. He's like a secret weapon. They have a bunch of guys who can handle the ball, a bunch of guys who can shoot, a bunch of guys who can switch positions on defense. Isn't that kind of what you want in today's league? And as we've talked about, the collection of players where you watch them and almost never do you go, that guy sucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Really, Just a none col- of them. None the of them. market inefficiency, right? Just have a bunch of guys that are pretty good. You mentioned Sandarius Thornwell before. Even someone like him, like he doesn't even play now. But even someone like him, it's like he doesn't suck. <laughs> no, this has been a very rough patch for the team that they played, which is the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh boy! I mean, you're talking. They lost at Philly. They lost at the Knicks. They lost at the Wizards. Then they came back home and they lost to Boston. Then they got a one-off win against Washington. Went and lost at Miami. Then a pretty impressive win, I thought, at Charlotte over the weekend. But then they turn around and lose a home game to the Clippers uh, on a night where Julius Randle has 37 points in the game. They still lose 129 to 126. And now they're going to host Dallas uh, tomorrow night. Uh, what do we make of the Pelicans and what's happened to them as of late? Once upon a time, uh, the team started off 4 and 0 on the year and then they kind of cooled off and then they put it back up to 10 and seven after they got that big win over San Antonio. And now since that point, they've been two and six in their last eight games. What do you think? It's going to be tough this month. Um, Remainder of this month, they have 13 games. Only two of them are against teams with a net rating below zero. That's Miami and Sacramento. It's going to be really a tough month for them. Uh, 12 and 13 right now. And, and it, Davis is number one in minutes. Holiday is number three. Last night, Davis, Randall, Holiday, they were all spectacular. They scored 92 combined points, but this team just simply doesn't have enough depth. We've just talked about with some of these other teams how much depth they have, how much versatility they have. This Pelicans team doesn't. And I'm honestly going to be surprised if they make the playoffs any higher than the eighth seed. And, and, you know, Davis needs to go on a historic run, just like he did last year after the Pookie injury. But that's kind of the problem, right? Like he, Anthony Davis shouldn't have to do that just to sneak into the playoffs and then get bounced in the first or second round. And I, I think by the end of this month, with this tough schedule, they have some tough back-to-backs. They have a tough road trip against Milwaukee, Los Angeles, Sacramento, and Dallas. Dallas is not going to be easy. And, and then maybe by the end of the month, Houston fixes themselves. They, they have a really hard schedule this month. Um, I just worry about how it's going to look entering 2019. And it's it just feels like every game New Orleans loses, we're moving closer to the Anthony Davis, the Anthony Davis sweepstakes becoming a big conversation. Oh, boy. Um, well, here, here's the other thing I do want to mention. I, and I said this at the beginning of the year. I, I love Drew Holiday. They have no other perimeter guys that I care about. Seriously. Not one. I mean, I, I'm fine. I, I, listen, Davis is maybe one of the two, three best players in the league, in my opinion. Randall, I loved the signing. I don't, uh, and obviously he's been very, very good for them. Miritich didn't play in last night's game. But I mean, listen, Davis, Randall, Miritich, and then Holiday, and then the rest of the roster is just meh. It is the continuation of just this roster building malpractice that has happened 
around these, you know, extended amount of years having Anthony Davis on your team? Like, how do you not have any, like, how do you just have one guard that's worth a crap? Mm. And Drew Holiday's great, but there's only one of him. Well, Etwan Moore uh, can hit floaters. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I can floater, find Etwan Moore. Floaters and he, Etwan Moore's played well this year. But there's a million Etwan Moores. They're just a yeah. horror. You can find that guy. This kind of gets back to what we were talking about before, though, Chris, right? Like, New Orleans has one of the best defensive big men in the league in Anthony Davis and one of the best perimeter guards in Drew Holiday. But those two guys aren't enough to have better than the fifth worst defensive rating in the NBA. Like, you need more than that. Defense is not a one-man or two-man job. It's a five-man job. Uh, and, and they have two guys that, that are really, really, really good um, and then a bunch of guys who aren't. All right, let's get to some of the other news that has happened since we last spoke. Another coach lost his job. Fred Hoiberg lost his job. Uh, Chicago Bulls fired Fred Hoiberg. You know, I said to the, I said to somebody yesterday when I was talking to them, they were like, "Wow, did you see Fred Hoiberg got fired? What do you think?" And I was like, "You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I have no idea if Fred Hoiberg is a decent coach or not. I honestly don't know. I know that he never have a, he had a roster that I thought." should have done way better than what he did. You know, his voice probably got old and, you know, sometimes you need a change and maybe they'll be better than they have been so far. But that guy had to coach a bunch of different rosters over his time there. And it never felt like there was some kind of real plan as to, okay, we're getting a young coach from college, and now here's what we're going to do, right? At the beginning, it was like, we want to win. And so we added Rondo and Wade and then abandoned that and then started tanking so we could get some, you know, get some good players. And then we made the Jimmy Butler trade, and now we're in the middle of a rebuild. But (laughs) I don't know. Are you firing him for losing? I mean, they say it's lack of energy and whatever. But it's just bizarre. Yeah, it's pretty silly. The other thing, you know what's the first thing that came to my mind? How much different is the conversation? And I know that there's a lot of people that think, oh, well, Brad Stevens would have made the adjustments and they would have, they, they still would have won. But they went up in that series that year that they had Rondo and Wade and Butler. And let's just, let's just hypothetical that, you know, after they've got that, that lead on, on, on Boston, now let's say Rondo doesn't get hurt and that becomes an upset. That becomes an upset and they end up winning. How much different is everyone's opinion? on Hoiberg and on Brad Stevens for that matter. And maybe the Bulls like kind of keep that team together if they went on a little playoff run with that roster. And maybe, I don't know, just so many things would be different, you know? Would have been for the worst to do it, though. Yeah. Right? No, I mean, keep right. keeping a core of Rajon Rondo and Dwayne Wade as uh, <laughs> your backcourt. I, that absolutely would have been for the worst, I think. I think Lowry, I mean, Jimmy Butler, would he stay next summer? No. I think they might have been in the same situation that Minnesota was this year. Right. Uh, instead, they have Lowry Markkinen, who is an extremely talented offensive uh, big man who has gotten better defensively. They have Wendell Carter, who is already a very, very good young player. Zach Levine, I'm not a big fan of him, but no denying that his scoring ability is really, really good. Uh, someone like Bobby Portis getting playing time. They have a lot of good young players on this team, and it's because they went into a rebuild. The front office probably doesn't feel Fred Hoiberg was the right voice for that team. And that's unfortunate because I I really do believe Hoiberg can be a solid coach in the right situation. He's a great college coach. Um, maybe this, this just wasn't the right situation for him. 
And he'll probably go back and just be a great college coach. But I don't think it is a demerit to say, oh, do you really want to hire a guy from college? Because there's been a lot of these guys in the past, college guys that have gotten jobs that nobody could have won. What do you expect? For an Oiberg to have a winning record with the crap they threw at him? Yeah, I know. He threw exactly. together like a veteran team with difficult personalities, and then they threw him like a, a team that was tanking, and now they've got a – I mean, their roster shouldn't be winning anything this year. So that's it's, – it's, it's a thankless job that the guy has had. He's never – I just don't know. On Fred Hoiberg, I don't know. I think he's probably a guy that if you gave him, like like a lot of guys, you give him a good roster, he'll probably win games. If you give him a bad roster, he probably won't. Um, And so he didn't. Mavs and Lakers, two teams that are also surging outside of the Timberwolves that we already talked about earlier. Uh, The surges of the Mavs and the Lakers. What do you think? Lakers are beating up on some bad teams right now, but I, 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 do you think their surge is for real? Right now they're on pace for 49.9 wins, almost 50. Uh, <laughs> um, I think this Lakers team is really good. Um, Kuzma's been better on the defensive end as of late. Again, gets back to effort, playing with effort, playing with energy. Uh, Lonzo Ball has been really, really good defending um, on and off the ball. Brandon Ingram has been better defensively as well. And then LeBron James really ultimately starts with him. He's setting a tone. He's doing enough on the defensive end of the floor to set a tone for that team. Tyson Chandler has been a good addition off the bench. Uh, Mo Wagner scored 10 points the other night. Shout out to him. Um, the Lakers are good, man. Uh, they're going to be really good. You know, you mentioned earlier who will win more games, the Lakers or the Clippers. I still say the Lakers because they're LeBron James. Why, why are you on the side of the Clippers there? No, uh-uh. No. I think it was okay. going to take, listen, it was going to take time. It was yeah, going to take time exactly. with the Lakers. Yeah. It's like we talked about early. We had to be patient, right? It took time with Wade, LeBron, and Bosh. No and this team ain't that team. No. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, you got to figure out how to play and how to play with LeBron James. And Luke Walton had to figure it all out and kind of figure out the rotations and how you guys are going to work together and whatever else. I don't know. I don't know what the record's going to end up being, but I mean, I think so many of these teams, you're, you're talking honestly, we could end up at the end of the year with at least 10 teams that are within four games of each other, five games of each other. Seriously. I mean, all the way down. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, who sucks? The only team that sucks is the Suns. Your bright future Suns. <laughs> I mean, they're seriously, they're the only team yeah. in the Western Conference that sucks. Yeah. The only one. Good for them, right? Tank, baby. Tank. <laughs> tank. I, just, I hope tank, they get, tank the, I hope they get, the, tank I hope they get the 10th pick. They are going to tank forever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're they're, they're, they're going to have the worst record in the league, so that means they're going to have either the number one pick or, at worst, the number five pick. That's the range they're going to be selecting. The other team that I mentioned was the Mavs. I watched them play against the Clippers uh, over the weekend. That was the game they had without Luka Doncic, where Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, got his tooth busted, made the huge block on Tobias Harris at the end of the game, and they got another win. Dallas has been on fire. Um, they are eight and two in their last 10 games. They're now above 500. Their home road split is crazy. They're nine and two at home. They're two and eight on the road. Um, but I mean, do you think the Mavs are a team that can, I mean, maybe I think at the beginning of the season, most people didn't think that the Mavs were going to be a competitor for a playoff spot. Are you starting to think that the Mavs could be a competitor for, for a playoff spot? Um, Maybe the eight seed. I, I would lean towards no. I, I think I Carlisle's I mean, so good. He, he is. is so good. I you just know what I mean? don't know if you can sustain this over the full year. 
I would lean towards no, Chris. I would. I, I think you look at the other teams in that mix, Minnesota, New Orleans, Houston should get better. Utah should get better. I mean, like, look, the difference between the eight seed right now and the 14 is a, a game and a half, right? Like Dallas can drop a couple games and just plummet. I don't think Dallas would make the playoffs, no. But it, it wouldn't stun me. All of these teams are a three-game losing streak away from looking radically different in the standings. Yeah, and, and that's why, like, you know, circling back to New Orleans, that's why this scary schedule this month for them, like, yep. they, they could plummet. By January, they could be, like, the 13th seed, right? Like, it, it would not be stunning if entering the new year, Houston and Utah is in the playoffs. It just wouldn't. Even though right now they're 13 and 14, respectively, in the Western Conference. Uh, Dallas, put it this way, though, regardless of the playoffs for Dallas, this team is better than anybody could have expected. That's an obvious statement, but I think looking up and down their roster again, like Luka Doncic has been a major difference maker for this team with his playmaking. J.J. Barrera off the bench. Um, little guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, versatile on defense. Um, Dwight Powell, Powell, solid off their bench. They have good players on their team. They just lack that superstar right now um, to enhance those guys. And by the way, Harrison Barnes might be overpaid, but he's still a solid player, man. Oh, for sure. He is. Yes. Harrison Barnes. Listen, Harrison Barnes was, a, he will always be thought of as the guy that the Cavaliers ran away from and said, shoot it. Right. That's like the seminal moment in his career, unfortunately. But he was a part of a team that won 73 games. Yeah. Yep. You know what I mean? And that's prior to Durant and Barnes helped them win a lot of games. Uh, during his time there, he should not be your number one guy. He shouldn't be your go-to guy, but he can absolutely be a winning cog on a team. Hell, he was a cog. He started on the winningest regular season team of all time. And I do think he had something to do with that, mm -hmm. probably more than he was given credit for. I mean, it's not easy when you get replaced by Kevin Durant, you know? Yeah. I mean, his current contract right now, $24.1 this year, then an option for $25.1 next season. Overpaid. But that next deal for him at age 28 years old, when he gets his next deal, could be a good one. I, I think uh, wherever he plays on that next contract, he'll, he'll be an important player again, like he was for Golden State. Well, and there's a very interesting game that is going on tonight as we are recording this on Tuesday. I will absolutely tune in to see the team that's been super hot, which is Dallas as of late at home, where I said their record's great, hosting a team that's really stumbled recently, which is uh, Portland, who's three and seven in their last 10 games and have lost two in a row. And so we're kind of going to get to see how does Dallas look when they get to host a game against another team that they're going to be competing with for a playoff spot? Because Portland, who it was just not long ago that they were right there on top of the standings and have faltered as of late. As I mentioned, three and seven in their last 10. So you got a team that's gone cold versus a team that's gone super hot, and the Mavs catch them at home. Yeah, Portland's been sputtering lately for sure. I wonder if Luka Doncic will be back tonight. Do, do we know that? It was not a big deal that he was sitting out the other night against the Clippers. Nobody said that this was like an injury that was going to keep him out an extended amount of time. So I certainly, it was soreness. So I, I certainly believe there's a chance we could see him. Hopefully. Luka's another one of those guys, like, like with Jokic, just love watching him play. You should check out Jaron Jackson Jr. I love watching. He's on that <laughs> list too. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., man. Like, oh my goodness. Uh, this rookie class has been outstanding. Oh my God. Yeah. So much better than I thought they were going to be, honestly. Jaron Jackson, like entering so much the youngest player in his draft class, already a good defensive player aside from Falls. 
reliable three-point shooter. That has translated despite his funky-looking mechanics. He can attack closeouts. I mean, great personality, too. Well, right? and you've seen, uh, and awesome. hey, listen, you've seen, you've seen since the uptick in minutes recently, Bagley was putting up like 19 and 11 over the course of the last week. He's been very productive. You saw Wendell Carter have a breakout monster game over the weekend. I mean, this rookie class has been just awesome so far. Really awesome. The league has a um, lot of, I think right now the league is in a spot where there are just so many good, fun, interesting players to watch you across know, the league. I, you know, there's probably somebody out there that could do this, a deep dive. But I was thinking about this. It'll be the last thing we talk about today. I was thinking about this the other day because I was watching the NFL the Chargers game, that Sunday night football game, where Derwin James had the pick. And Derwin James is a guy that fell down on NFL mock drafts, right? But I thought about this guy, Bradley Chubb at Denver and Denzel Ward at Cleveland and Vlayton Van Der Esch for Dallas and all these guys. Like, there's been amazing talent. Breaker Mayfield, obviously. And so many have like been plug and play immediately really good. And I just wonder, I mean, there's got to be some kind of better reason than just sitting around and me pontificating on it, but it just <laughs> seems to me that even in the NFL and the NBA, that your draft picks now can be so much more of an impact immediately than it used to be. It used to just feel like maybe a couple of guys would come in and have massive impact, but you're seeing it all across the league in both the NFL and the NBA where guys are coming from college and immediately awesome. It's the damnedest thing. Used to be like some kind of, you know, I don't know, like development time, right? For these guys. But you've got guys like breaking records that are rookies in both sports. Got yeah. any ideas? I, I don't know. I don't know either. Somebody write about that. <laughs> Somebody write about that because it might, maybe it's just my brain thinking that. But when I watched the other night, when I saw that pick come from Derwin James, I was like, damn, man, that's another rookie. How are these rookies so freaking good at like both sports now? All I know is with these rookies that are already good, it's one of the most rewarding things watching these players is still continuing to get better. Like, again, circling back to Nikola Jokic, overseas, yep. he was a great passer, but a lot of his passes came from the, the low post and the high post and in, in outlet passes and transition, but he didn't settle for being great. He improved his ball handling. He became yep. a better passer off the dribble with his right or his left hand. He became a more creative player because his skill enabled him to be more creative because he's always had the passing vision. That's just been so fun to watch with Jokic or these other young players that come into the league that are good and they continue to get better. They don't settle for being good. They, they want to be great. They want to be something more than that. So someone like Jaron Jackson is going to get better. Luka Doncic is going to get better. Wendell Carter is going to have more of those impressive offensive games. These guys are going to continue to get better. And that's, that's really, really fun to watch when you're watching them when they're just kids. Right now, a lot of them are just teenagers. No, certainly leagues in a really good place. And here's me hoping that you can find you a woman that appreciates Nikola Jokic's passes as much as you. <laughs> <laughs> and all that other crap you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, all the other crap, yeah. <laughs> Kevin, it's always a pleasure. I'll catch up with you uh, next week. Have a good one, Chris. Thanks to everybody for listening to another edition of The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review. Five stars, five stars on iTunes. It really helps us out. And we will talk to you next week. Hey!